0: You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central. And you can always give us a listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Without further ado, grab a cup of Joe, find a comfy chair, and enjoy the conversation.
1: and welcome to King of Kings. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg.
0: I'm Pastor Scott Pitch, and we're excited to have you here with us today as we continue in our series on Genesis uh, called Genesis Part 1 as we look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis over uh, the course of 11 parts and then potentially an overview. So uh, a lot of stuff happening in these chapters. If it's your first time with us, welcome. If, it's, uh, you're, if you've been here before and you're back, welcome also to you. Um, we are on Part 9 out of 11, so if you just are hopping in with us for the very first time, um, you're welcome to hang out with us and uh, enjoy the discussion today over the uh, end results of the flood, or you can start back at the very beginning um, with Genesis chapter 1. You can find it on Facebook, on YouTube, if you just search for um, Coffee and Clergy, or you can uh, also find it wherever your podcasts are found if you want to listen to it in audio format, Uh, and those are available Pretty much anywhere you want to get your podcast from. So, um, before we get begin, should we open with a prayer? Please, yeah, Yes, so let I'll open with a prayer. We thank you, God, for this day and uh, um, the multitude of blessings that you uh, bring to us. We we uh, love the the spring weather we're beginning to see around us and the um, the potentially light at the end of the tunnel with uh, some of our our society's concerns with. With COVID and things, we pray that you would help us to still be good stewards of, of our neighbor and of our our health um, as we um, wisely exit this uh, this unfortunate chapter of our of our times. Um, but we pray today, O God, as we emphasize um, the blessing of, of your covenant and the continuation of your promise with uh, with humanity, that you would help us to see our place within that story. Send your Holy Spirit today to fill our hearts uh, and our and our minds with thoughts and prayers and words to You, and that we would uh, then carry the assurance of our faith into our daily walk of, of life and carry um, ourselves as people on mission
1: for You. And so we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've been talking about Noah and where we find ourselves, put this a little bit in the context, mm-hmm. we, um, Noah... His story began about 15,000 years after creation, 1,500 1, years after creation, and uh, and then as we had um, the last couple of uh, sessions that we've had, we've talked about Noah, we talked about the flood, this is post-flood, this mm-hmm. this session is, and we're going to talk about Noah and his family getting off the ark and what it was like and, and one of the events that took place um, uh, in the life of Noah and his sons, yeah. and how that uh, how there were ramifications because of what took place, mm-hmm. and so in the story of Noah and the flood, um, we're gonna um, one of the people we're gonna focus on is Noah's youngest son Ham, who mocked his father, as we'll read in the story, um, and then we can um, and then we can talk about, um, but maybe to begin and to set our mind before we read read through the scriptures. How do we see gossip and shaming in our world today? Does that take place? Is it frequent um uh, where do we find it? Where do we see it?
0: Yeah, I think definitely. I think one of the the prevailing mentalities of our culture is this this idea of um seeking to be to be virtuous and avoiding contact with those who are shameful or lesser than. And so we have a lot of people who try to build themselves up and make themselves look morally superior by pointing at the wrongs wrongs or the the weak moral character or actions of others. And so um, as Christians, we should call out sin where we see sin so that we can have people return to God in repentance. But what we shouldn't try to do is to signal our virtue by showcasing the the uh, moral inferiority of someone else that's not what we 're called to do um, we 're not called to call other people out to build
1: ourselves up and, and I, I think one of the big problems that takes place in our our culture today, especially here in America, is that some people set up their own standard of what's mm. right and wrong yeah and so then it's, uh, and then it becomes not only easy mm-hmm. uh, to point out someone else is wrong, but we also have the opportunity to um, uh, to display other people uh, through social media and point out what they've done wrong. And, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so the shaming that takes place isn't just a one-on-one shaming. It can um, uh, pile on uh, a, a culture of shame onto yeah. a person.
0: There's a couple of... of uh, sources of of morality I guess that you could find within that when people pick their own they typically don't invent their own they join one of uh, three camps either it's the it's the uh, the majority opinion is what's right so that's what's right or it's um, the opposite of that it's uh, anti the majority and you want to go against the flow because you feel like Moral morality is ambiguous, and so anyone trying to tell you what's right and wrong is wrong. So you take up a an anti um, societal view of what's right or wrong, and then there's also the idea of the um, the kind of uh, the the differentiation between the silent majority and the vocal minority, and so you get the idea of which morality are you following? Are you following the following the loudest morality? Are you following the morality that most people have? Are you following the opposite of what most people consider to be moral? Or hopefully the morality that that sticks and stays is the one that is timeless and written in the word of God. That's where I choose to find morality because the the majority opinion changes all the time. The the vocal minority becomes louder and louder all the time. The the number of people going against the flow of what's right and wrong intentionally to to upthro- overthrow social norms is growing all the time so finding morality anywhere other than the timeless word of god is a perilous proposition yeah. and
1: um and so but there's um um we see that again uh, all around in society today and mm-hmm. and we see the 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 hurt and the heartache that it brings um uh, people feel that uh, as they are shamed, and, and others feel vindicated because they've pointed out uh, the wrongs of others. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, uh, before we go any further, let's we're going to read through this text. It's from Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 29. And do you want me to begin? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. So, I'm going to read 18 through 23. Let's go ahead and pull out your Bibles if you have them and follow along with us. So, it says, The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk, and he lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders and they walked in backwards and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. Okay, we'll continue at verse 24. When Noah
0: awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived for 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died.
1: Okay. And so maybe we can stop for a moment, just think and imagine what life must have been like for Noah and their family as they came off of the ark. Um, How would you have responded? What would you have thought? um, What would have been going through your mind? Well, you've got a rare thing
0: going on, a completely fresh start. It's not a very common thing uh for the human condition because we all tend to carry the baggage of our of our lives with us all the time so a fresh start is a rare a rare occasion and people occasionally do have fresh starts and sometimes they make good use of them sometimes they squander them away and i think here we have a good example um in this seemingly strange sh- story about uh Noah getting drunk and being naked. You get an idea of whether or not people are taking advantage of that fresh start or not. And um, I think that kind of sets the stage for us here a little.
1: Yeah, I, w- I was thinking of kind of the concept that that on the one hand, Noah and his family probably were very thankful mm-hmm. uh, as far as God having saved them. And on the other hand, they may have been at the same time sad because... Um, Friends, family, um, people that they came in contact with, even if they didn't have the best relationship with them, mm-hmm. um, there was no one else. And it was just the family, which, uh, again, is is a fresh start. Um, but that, um, that, it could have been a little daunting, a little scary to say, we're going to start all over again. Noah was, um, what, 650 years old? 600, yeah. And uh, so... Um, and then he lived for another three hundred and fifty years mm-hmm. um, so or six hundred years old yeah. and um so he wasn 't a a young man Mm-mm. and <laughs> so you know to to start all over again could have been a a little bit of a daunting task, and yet God had promised that he would be with them, and he 'd watch over them mm-hmm. and and so uh there they were, and um then we find that Noah. Who's a gardener? Plants a garden, plants a vineyard. Uh, we don't know what kind of soil he had to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if it uh, if it was good soil, some people thought, well, wouldn't he have planted wheat or barley or something that uh, a grain that could have been eaten? But we don't know if it was rocky, mm-hmm. and so it it might have been that kind of soil that would have done better with uh, with with a vineyard. Yeah. And so he planted a vineyard. He reaped the uh, the fruit of the vine and and. Got drunk and and then um, so how did how did his youngest son Ham how did he respond to um, to his father? Well, we
0: don't know the the thoughts that Ham was thinking, but based on his actions, um, he came upon his father alone. And there's kind of the idea that uh, Ham could have probably cared for his father and loved his father and respected and honored his father. And taking care of his father himself, but instead, what he does is he leaves the tent and goes and tells his brothers. And you get the idea that it's like he goes out to tell his brothers some juicy gossip or some, uh, you know, a funny thing, so they can mock their father and, and say, "Oh, old man, what a goofball! He's being a a dummy. He got himself drunk. We should go make fun of him." And you know, you see, <laughs> you see this uh, this kind of trope in amongst college students that when College students are having their fun, and someone gets too drunk. People like to mess with the drunk guy, and it's a terrible uh, thing to do. I mean, you know, people are at their, their weakest moments, you know, not just physically, but if they're if they're getting that intoxicated, there's probably something else going on in their life, too. But we have, you know, you you should care for somebody in that kind of condition, not ridicule and mock them. Um, but that's the tendency here that, that HAM has. Yeah,
1: and it, it doesn't happen just with college age but it it can be i think mm-hmm. of young people that yeah. uh that mock one another i think of older people that um then it becomes that gossip that that yeah. people like to spread um, and um and then they, then we have the other brothers shem and mm-hmm. japheth, japheth and their response was very different from ham's and so um what did they what did they do?
0: They did what Ham should have done from the very beginning and cared for his father, they cared for their father. Um, I think uh, as they entered, they knew this, the condition of their father, so they took such respect and went over the top to um, care for him that they didn't even look at him. Um, I, a lot of times, when you hear interpretations of this, you get the impression that what Ham did wrong was see his dad naked and in that condition. and You know, there's there's struggles with that because you know you you have examples of of uh people who take care of their elder parents and stuff and when they're in the hospital they're not always fully there in their mind if at the end of life and it's kind of a loving and caring thing to to be around even though it's awkward to see your your dad in a in a robe or or whatever um but you care for them and so God once again he looks at the heart not the not necessarily always the outward um, symbol. He looks at the heart. And so I think Ham's heart is in the wrong place, where um, Shem and Japheth, their heart is in the right place, and because of their the heart being in the right place, it moves to action, which is respectful, and it's how it plays out. So had Ham um, done the right thing and had the right heart, it wouldn't have been a
1: concern. Yeah, and the The other two brothers recognized the awkwardness uh the awkward situation that their father was in and and so they wanted to again just simply honor him mm-hmm. and uh and so um you know we can um we can talk about their motivations and that's uh, that might be a little bit more challenging but um we recognize that uh that ham It it appears that he didn't have the same respect that his brothers had, Mm -hmm. and um, uh, that the brothers had in their motivation, they had um, more a desire to respect and honor their father uh, in a in a uh, awkward situation. And um, you know, we Ham also picks the, the most inopportune time for his
0: own benefit to disrespect and dishonor his father because his father is getting ready to. Issue about the patriarchal blessing too, and yeah. right before he does, he messes yeah. up and yeah. gets the worst possible patriarch patriarchal yeah. blessing that your kids will be slaves to your brothers' kids. Yeah. It's like, oh no, and, <laughs> maybe should have thought a little more yeah. before. He and,
1: and was was that was that something that that Noah had planned to do, or did that just come out of the situation? I
0: I think probably yeah. the latter, uh, or or just you know people people don't tend to. Um, to judge people overly harshly for their one tiny slip up it tends to be a, a pattern of of disrespect and dishonor, so there might have been a, a pattern of disrespect and dishonor for Noah that Ham was perpetuating over and over again that shows up in our in our scripture as this one particular instance, but i I think Noah was a patient enough and righteous enough man not to to overreact to his son's disrespect, so I think there's probably a, a pattern that we don't hear all about yeah. uh, in the word, but there's probably a pattern of of disrespect and dishonor. And so when Noah Noah's time came to give the blessing, I think it probably would have come down on him anyway. <laughs> it's yeah. just this is the timing
1: how it played out. So and kind of to take a sideline, uh, how how important is uh, a blessing? from a father to his children?
0: Uh, well, we tend to downplay that today, but in the Scripture, it's incredibly important. You hear um, the blessings passed down from Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to his sons. You have um, some really interesting stories about how uh, how things pass down from person to person to person. You have um, God Himself saying that He will be um, faithful to three and four generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So there is a, a binding or a tying between the blessings. Or even a thousand, to a thousand those generations who, to those, those who, who love him. Is, oh, sorry, hey, yeah, hey. you're right. A thousand generations to those who love him. Three to four generations will be punished for the wickedness and the sins of um, The fathers the, that pass those. on to the children. So yeah, you see this, the genera- I had the numbers backward in my head, but the, the you see the generational bindings that exist um, between fathers handing down blessings or curses, in this case, or um, bad legacies in the eyes of God through the familial relationships.
1: Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't know if parents always see the, uh, the blessings or curses... Um, that they pass on to their children. Sometimes those are very intentional. Sometimes those are not intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things that we can pass on to our children by um, saying things like, "Oh, you never can do anything right," mm-hmm. um, or, "You know, you're always, you know, can't you, you know, can't you do anything?" or you know Or uh, through our not saying
0: anything at all when we should be saying something. You when absolutely a child does something and you can say I'm proud of you but you choose not to, that's that's a thing that you yeah. are impacting as well.
1: So. And and those blast those blessings can be very significant to children. Uh and you know, you, you look at the different personalities that children have. Sometimes there are children that just have uh it's like they have blinders on and they, they go straight <laughs> for the goal that uh that seems to be a part of their life and there are others that um, get entangled in everything in life and and um, so so parents can play uh, a key part in the lives of both of those kinds of children mm-hmm. and um, how significant it is that that we have the opportunity to encourage them and give them a blessing um,
0: and, and once again, in these early chapters of Genesis, once more we 're talking about parenting and there, i mean it 's every single week it seems like we end up talking about that, and you really get that theme of God, the loving parent, the father. Who teaches us as people how to be fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, and yeah it's uh definitely a theme you see repeated over and over and over again,
1: yeah, uh, getting back to the story, this may be more of a a little bit more of an obvious question. How might Ham have responded in a more appropriate way? yeah, well, acting like Shim and Japheth, I think
0: um, on the one hand, um Shim and Japheth to some degree are cleaning up after their brothers um lack of respect for, excuse me, for their dad. Um, And so I think, for one, propriety would have been a good thing instead of coming out and telling everybody, just handling it himself. Um, I think that uh, that would have been the the chief way which he could have honored his father. Um, Caring for him and staying with him as he struggled with his drunkenness probably would be another good way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, why was it? Why was it important for the sons to cover their father's shame? Um, so, not just to cover his nakedness, but um, and that we're gonna, that'll lead into another another question. But why was it important for those boys uh, to cover their father's shame? Well,
0: the the honor of a father is the honor of a son, and the shame of a father is the shame of the son. It's kind of another way of putting that um, that blessing curse sort of thing. And so. In um, him intentionally not covering the shamefulness of his father to try and somehow uh, make himself look better uh, or less foolish, um, he actually just perpetuated greater shame upon himself. Um, and so I think that's the importance of, of taking the opportunity to cover is it shows respect and honor for the position of headship that a father has within a family
1: yeah the the opposite of that is disrespect or to despise someone um to to point out their shame to lift it up so others can see it and uh again it it often becomes uh, uh, something that's laughed at something mm-hmm. that's um and then the the dishonor then continues to grow
0: yeah and one of the things that's popping into my mind is uh the small catechism, the description of by martin luther of the eighth commandment Um, we have uh, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor and at first we think okay it's about lying but what it really is uh, that works really at the heart of the eighth commandment is this idea of reputation and um, and how others regard other people so um, the the explanation of the eighth commandment i don't know if i have the exact wording pinned down because it's changed recently but it's that we should fear and love god so that we um, we build up the reputation of others, and we do not say things that would cause others to think lesser of them. And that we should, in all the things that we say and do, seek to uh, improve and build up others' reputations in the eyes of, of yeah. others. Um, I
1: always like the phrase and put the best construction on everything. Best construction
0: on everything. On everything.
1: Yeah. So. so when people
0: when people do honorable things, you celebrate their honor. When people do shameful things you tend to be more merciful and instead of calling out their shame you seek to put the best construction on their actions to um, say well I don't know what they're what they're what they were thinking or what they were going for but uh, God loves them I love them and um, we'll just pretend like that didn't happen
1: (laughs) (laughs) or or I'll put a a good construction on it yeah yeah we and we kind of talked about this too that Noah's sin Led into his son's sin, mm. and and then his son's sin affected a, an entire race of people mm-hmm. um, as they continued to have children, and um, and so um, I guess we've talked about that that principle of um, the sins of the father, sins of the fathers upon their children, mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting that that God uses those words at the end of the commandments. Um, uh, if you're familiar with uh, Luther's small catechism, uh, he talks about at the end of the commandments um, um, uh, that um, he uses those words that the sins of the fathers upon their children do the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, mm-hmm. uh, but showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. There you go. That's and simple. And um, so that uh, God tied, you know, he tied... Um, that that blessing and curse in with the commandments that he gave to his people when he said this is how i want you to live and 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 function among yourselves and your families yeah. and um, and so we we see that um being carried out here in the uh, in the story of noah and his uh, and his son ham mm-hmm. and uh so uh have you ever seen evidence of this principle of one sin being handed down to another uh, have you ever seen that in your 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 own experience, or your, in your own life, or in the life of others?
0: Oh, certainly. I think uh, one of the things we always acknowledge about sin is that sin is never never perpetrated in a bubble, right? There, mm-hmm. Sin always impacts the community around the sinner. And so when you when you break one of the commandments, it doesn't just harm you. It doesn't just harm your relationship with God. It also damages the relationship with The people around you and so that that's what we see in the garden of eden right when when adam and eve sin it destroys the relationship between them because as soon as god calls out for adam and says adam where are you adam points the finger at eve and says she did me wrong man and that damages the relationship between husband and wife and then it damages the relationship between father and son and and we see the relationship between uh brother and brother that damage because of sin and in, in in Cain and Abel's story um we see this is a good example of father and son, how sin damages the relationship between father and son with uh Noah and Ham so we have uh in the Bible clear evidence of this, but we see this all around us all the time all the time here today that are when we when we perpetrate something wrong into the world it doesn't just happen in a vacuum it impacts others when when fathers break the law and end up in prison for their for their disobedience of the the law that's here on this earth they um they damage their their sons and their daughters by not being you know in in the household they damage um their their wives by not being able to be a, a husband to them they damage um, there's society by being removed from, from the productive, yeah. helpful position in society. Exactly. So, um, sin is never, never, no matter how small the sin is, it, you see this, this kind of ripple effect, no matter how small it is. People, the way I kind of, um, like to think about it is that. That no no sin or misdeed is ever unpaid, right? That no matter how small something is, it always comes around to bite you in the butt inevitably somehow. It might be a small result or it might be a larger one, but no one ever gets away with anything truly. You might get away for it with something in the moment, but inevitably that pattern of behavior um, or or the the direct consequences down the road will show up and will... Show the the impact of that wrongdoing, um, and so so that's kind of I think what we're what we're seeing illustrated here in this Noah story is that our actions and our sin um, they it does impact it does impact people and it does impact people for a long time. This is not God being being or or even Noah being unjust. This is um, them showing how an act of Deliberate disobedience sin and and dishonor can lead to real and lasting impact for many 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 people yeah. um, and so that 's just the way the world works
1: so maybe let's flip that around and have you have you seen evidence or a pattern of of blessings that have been passed down from generation to generation?
0: Certainly, the legacy of faith that we leave for our children is i think the chief the chief blessing we can give um, when we when we when we establish ourselves as a family i'm talking ourselves meaning like my my wife my kid my um you know my family when we establish ourselves as people of god as um believers in christ followers and disciples of his his word and his way then that that hopefully has lasting impact my um, I can still feel the, I can feel very prevalently the impact of my grandfather, who was a Lutheran school teacher. Um, he was the first one to step into any kind of ministry that I know of in my my lineage. Um, most of his ancestors were, were Lutheran, but they were farmers and ranchers and carpenters and things like that. Um, but he, he took the, the walk into ministry to be a teacher, and now he has two grandsons who are pastors. And so, um, that's certainly a legacy of faith that he has left. My father is the same way. He um, is was a a a very good churchman. He was always seeking um, to serve and to be in leadership roles within the church. And that that calling to do so and to be leaders within the church obviously has has resonated with his sons, my brother and I. Um, and I hope that uh, my son Wyatt continues in that legacy. As he, um, we seek to to teach him, you know, the basics of of faith even at such a young age of 1. I mean, we've been doing prayers with him since he was 1 day old, you know, since well, 3 days old when we came home from the hospital. Um we've been doing um you know, uh we've been doing bringing him into church and um it's amazing that he can Um, perk you up and and look around and pay attention when the Lord's prayer is said because he knows the rhythm of it. He hears it every night when we go to bed. And so when we're here on Sunday morning, when we say the Lord's prayer with the rest of the church, he perks up and in some way, in the baby's way, he participates. And uh, my hope is, is he ages and and learns to um, understand some more of the concepts and basics of the, the Christian faith that that he, in his own way, will be a participant in this body of Christ, uh, and that legacy has been passed down for generation after generation. My hope is that his grandkids, the same way, are somehow um, engaged in the the ministry of the church and the and the lifeblood of Christ uh, and the mission of God to advance the gospel. So yeah,
1: I look back at my own life too, and I see I went I had the privilege uh, again because of my parents um they were able to put me in a lutheran school and i look at the blessings that came from um being in a lutheran school the uh, the relationships that i established i i look at uh, uh the lutheran school teachers that had an influence on me and that uh played a big part in shaping me going into the ministry yeah and uh what a uh, again what a blessing and then uh uh, to be able to, as you said, to be able to share that with with children and um and then uh and then for their children to follow mm-hmm. uh, um, and what a what a joy it is to to be able to see that sometimes sometimes grandparents don 't realize the impact that they can have on a child yeah. and sometimes as grandparents who no longer have a a full time job or career. Uh, they can they can have a major influence on the life of a grandchild and mm-hmm. and uh, 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 help them continue to grow in their faith and what a blessing that becomes.
0: And and I I brought up the legacy. You asked what are the blessings that can be passed down through the generation. I went straight for faith, but there's many others. I mean, you look at like how many people like things in life because their their parents, their grandparents, their great grandparents liked it, like. Who's a Cardinals fan, and are you a Cardinals fan really? Because you're a Cardinals fan, or because you grew up watching the games with your dad or with your grandpa? Or um, how many people like to play catch? Uh, you know, you 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 develop those kinds of tendencies. Um, how many people like taking afternoon naps? You know, it's a, you you learn these things and these little legacies that you leave behind. And sometimes you leave legacies, maybe you wish you didn't, but sometimes you leave legacies that are lasting, that are good. Uh, and so uh, that's a, a good example of of things like and that too.
1: I I remember the saying uh, I heard, learned it long ago. People more attention pay to what you do than what you say, mm. and that really that really happens within the family um, yeah. as as people uh, you know uh, as people go to church, as people go to work, as they're faithful to their spouse, as they treat their family with honor. Um, uh, as they help children, you know, follow through with projects that they've uh, committed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of those things build on each other. And it's uh, another thing is good. They become habits. They become then our life. But those those good habits are often hard to do and easy to f- fall away from. Yeah. And, uh, and yet that's, uh, as God calls us to be faithful, um, uh, that's what he calls us to do and to be yeah. uh, as followers of him and as people whom he's given this world to, to to care for.
0: I think this ties back into the the first chapter of Genesis, too. We've been, because of our sin, our lives have been cut short, and there's nothing about uh, our physical being that continues throughout all of hi- history except our the legacies we leave with our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. So those, those things are the things that last, that echo out into the future. And so, um, we know we have an eternal aspect in our soul, but when, when we die, that doesn't have an impact on what goes on here in this place anymore. But the, the lessons that we've taught, the, the things that we've shown in what we do, what we say, what we believe, those last, and they have a big impact down
1: the road. It, it uh, may be a place where the rubber hits the road. Is, is at least in my mind, is as we begin to think about uh, returning to church, how important that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the one hand, it can be easy to just watch things online, and uh, and yet how important it is for people to gather together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's important for those who normally aren't with us each and every week, and it's important for those uh, who are here each week to see those who haven't been here in yeah. a long time, to uh, rekindle those relationships and um, uh, to uh, kind of rekindle the fire yeah. and um, um, uh, renew those relationships and strengthen them in the midst of the challenges that we have with the, the COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, another practical question in practical terms: What does it mean to cover another person's shame? Well, it can mean a lot of different things. But one of the things I'm thinking of is
0: sometimes to help cover a person's shame, you have to step into it a little bit too. You have to step into uh, uncomfortable positions. Uh, I think one of the the great the great uh, kind of cauldrons of shame is high school. Everyone's in their absolute uh, worst, you know, mid pubescent awkward social pressurized from from education and and family pressures and things it's like the absolute um the absolute worst possible combination of shame you can come up with and then you throw all the kids together in a confined space to to sit in a desk for several hours and it's it's one of the <laughs> it's one of the examples of where shame can 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 have its biggest impact. You see that there are kids who um, are, are ridiculed and mocked every day, and the the question then is, how can, in in practical terms, how can a person who seeks to love somebody in that scenario help them to cover their shame? Well, sometimes in those instances when someone is being mocked, there there's a calling for people. Uh, who are Christians in that context to step in to defend those who are being mocked, and sometimes you'll receive ridicule for that uh there are There are examples of in the corporate world of being you know shamed and and ridiculed, and it requires people to defend others and uh take on some of their shame as well so um that's what we see happening with uh With Jesus, too, when He steps into our world, He takes on the shame of sin to some degree on the cross. He takes the whole of sin uh, and its shame onto Himself. So I think that's the real answer is to to cover somebody else's shame is to step into that shame Mm -hmm. and help relieve the impact of it from
1: somebody else. Yeah, maybe another way to think about it is to cover... I mean, just the word to cover means to put something over mm-hmm. it so that it can't be seen. Uh, so it can't be seen, it's not talked about, it's not discussed, it's not laughed at. Um, um, uh, all that means to cover it. And um, uh, someone once talked about, you know, sin. If we've sinned against someone, it's, it's not only good to confess that sin and say, I'm sorry, but after the person uh, forgives them, um, uh, that person also says, I'll never bring this up again. It's mm-hmm. been dealt with. It's over. In a sense, it's been covered. And um, it won't affect our relationship yeah. as we go in the future. And, and what a wonderful image as we uh, talk about forgiveness. Um, it, it's covered. It's done. It's dealt with. And it will never be brought up again.
0: What a beautiful thing that would be in, in marriages. You see kind of the the TV trope about um, you know how women can never drop an issue you know they'll bring something up from from months ago into a argument or a conversation and that's that's perhaps not always accurate but all those those examples have find some rooting in reality and i think there are a lot of instances in families and in, in marital relationships and close friendships where we don't we do forgive but we don't truly um, walk away from it we don't truly drop it and
1: um that's a shame because that that does cause damage. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of a little little joke where two men were talking at the bar and and one said, "My wife is historical." And he said he, the other man said, "Do you mean hysterical?" And he said, "No, I mean historical. Everything I've done wrong, she brings she it up again and again and again." <laughs> yeah. And uh um but that's um but that that tells me when that happens that that a sin hasn't really been dealt with um mm-hmm. in God's way because when it's dealt with in god's way it it is covered and um and then it's dealt with and it's it can't be seen it's not brought up again
0: or, or as as jesus says on good friday it is finished that's yeah. the the exclamation uh, the declaration that that when sins are forgiven they are really forgiven if they don't linger they are done they're finished um, they're paid for
1: so maybe to put this again in a practical term um has someone ever covered your shame? This is, a, this is for our listeners uh, uh, to, to contemplate. Um, has anyone ever covered your shame? And as I think about that question, I, I think of you know times where I've done foolish, awkward things, and I think of parents who mm-hmm. have covered my shame. I think of uh, uh, brothers who may have covered my shame. I think of friends who may have covered my shame. Spouse or kids may have covered my shame. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, it happens with the people that we're closest to yeah. and we have a good relationship with because they do love and honor us. Yeah,
0: this is this is one uh, example I see happening in the modern context. When you mention parents covering up this the shame of their kids, um, never before has uh, there been a time where. Uh Historical records were being made at such a rapid pace. People are taking videos and pictures like they've never taken them before, and the thing is they're they're not just paper pictures and they're not just tape videos they're digital, so that means they will be forever and I don't think a lot of people realize this when they post pictures of their kids on Facebook and on social media. That once you share those things and those kind of moments which you think are funny and ha ha my my child is so funny, they you know they poop their diaper and they're walking around, or they um you know they paint it on the walls or whatever uh, sometimes we have to be careful because those things last forever and time time is not as long as we think it is by the time those kids are eighteen years old um i I just think about some of these. Like videos that have gone viral about parents taking videos or pictures of their kids and something funny, and now these kids are 18 years old from the beginning of when the internet started getting popular, and they have to go to high school and contend with the fact that they are the, I don't know, I'm thinking of an example, like the Star Wars kid, or they are the, um, you know, Charlie bit my finger kid, and... uh hopefully, you know, most people don't find themselves in a scenario where their kid is going to become internet famous, but, but I can go find, you know, even now I can find classmates um, who had kids before I had kids and their kids are 13 years old now or something like that. And I still remember when they posted something about, you know, their kids when they were, you know, eight months old or something like that. And I think, you know, that, that legacy is digitally imprinted forever, and yeah. parents need to be careful with that stuff yeah. um, and cover the shame of their children to some degree and make sure that their their, their shameful moments aren't broadcast for all to see for all time.
1: <laughs> yeah, And as human beings, sometimes we forget that, that images that we see, uh, the things that we experience are are permanently imprinted in our mind mm-hmm. and, and that affects how we live. It affects how we treat other people. It, yeah. it affects how we think of ourselves, how we think of God. And, um, and so, uh, those things live with us, mm-hmm. um, uh, throughout our life. I, there, you know, I've, uh, have been in the ministry. I, I've heard people confess sin that happened when they were a child and it still is haunting them today. And, um, uh, they forget uh, that those those experiences those images uh are carried with them uh sometimes as long as they live yeah um, um another question is uh, you know t- t- to flip that over t- in a negative way has someone ever exposed your shame and uh we 've kind of been talking about that it can it can happen all around us and and um i you know i i think of of classmates in school that have you know uh, so and so did this, and and they begin to make fun of them, mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, I see it in sports as uh, one one team mocks another, trying mm-hmm. to get a reaction out of them, and yeah. um, and when we when we see it take place, um, you know, with professional sports athletes, uh, we think that's um, it must be okay. Mm-hmm. And
0: yeah, I mean, we all we've all had examples. I think we spend most of our our um adolescent and teenage years trying to avoid having our awkwardness exposed everybody is awkward like everybody has moments where they're less than impressive everybody <laughs> a way a way of a way of saying it is everybody poops right everyone has moments where their shame is on full display but we hopefully keep our shameful moments private or at least keep them out of the public eye so um the <laughs> we, Unfortunately, there are times where uh, where our shame is exposed, and it causes some pretty lasting impact uh, today, especially with with social media being a thing and with online hazing and bullying being a thing. And we also see that our society has kind of created a a, a victim culture too, where we we uh, we victimize people, and people feel victimized more readily. And so, we have to be careful um, with how we participate in other people having their shame exposed. I think Christians actually have a a, a calling here to be ones who help cover the shame of others, and help um, who who are the ones who try to break the cycle of of shaming that occurs in our in our social circles. Um, I think that's a very real calling that we have.
1: Yeah. Uh, so ty- tying this into God's word, uh, specifically it deals as uh, uh, Ham and and the, the sons of Noah deal with their father. It, it directly ties into the fourth commandment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the fourth commandment says, you shall honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, that you may live long on the earth. This is the, the, the first commandment with a promise mm-hmm. that comes with it. And... Uh, Uh, I love what Luther talks about in his explanation. He said, We should fear and love God that we may not despise our parents or masters nor provoke them to anger, uh, but give them honor, serve and obey them, and hold them in love and esteem. Mm -hmm. And um, so God's word is very, very clear on uh, what we are to do, how we are to to live our life. And um, uh, I love that it, again, is is, uh, a commandment that has a promise that God has attached with it. Yep. Um, and so it um, all of this ties very squarely uh, and directly into God's Word. And, and so why do you think that God takes the authority um, structure within the family so seriously? Because it reflects the relationship that we have with God. I think that's the big answer, right? If we're
0: disrespectful to our earthly fathers, there's a good chance we're going to be disrespectful to our Heavenly Father. Yeah. Um, God, and the other thing to remember is because of the fourth commandment, we know that authorities that are rightly put into place here on this earth bear with them the authority of God. And so to disobey or disrespect those authorities is to directly
1: disrespect and disobey God. And that's dangerous. That's real yeah. dangerous. Yeah. God has woven authority into every aspect of of our, our life and culture, mm-hmm. Um you know it was uh, a part of creation adam was to have uh, the authority over the animals he was to name them he was to uh, uh, kind of direct their activity um uh, we see that authority given to uh, to parents we see that authority given to government we see that authority and responsibility um um, um given to church leaders and other leaders in society um whether they be uh, police, fire, you know, civil uh, authorities, um, that that authority is is woven into every part of God's creation, mm-hmm. um, and for the purpose of keeping peace and order within God's world. Yeah, what
0: we describe. That's one of the dangerous things about our current culture is we describe it as postmodern, and what that essentially means is the modernist viewpoint was that there was truth there was authority there were things you could depend on right that the world is rock solid the laws that exist in the world are true and they're not just scientific laws they're moral laws they're um you know enlightenment principles that are real and lasting and true and then postmodernism kind of started showing the chinks in the armor of mankind saying that all of its principles were true because of course Mankind is going to manipulate truth to do its own thing. But the danger is they went the exact opposite way and they said, what is truth? There is no truth. Everyone makes up their own truth. There is no authority. Question all authority. Why are we doing anything at all? And that's one of the the concerns with postmodernism is it takes the fourth commandment and it chucks it out. It says you shouldn't honor anything or anybody just because they are an authority. Instead, everyone has to earn respect and earn authority and... There is no, there is no seated or vested authority or power within anything, within government, within families, within social structures, within the church. It's all, it's all bad. It's all, it's all people positioning and and trying to gain power over you. Question it all, challenge it all, and and they, that,
1: and they say that with authority, and they right? say that with authority. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's the
0: exact premise. That's totally bonkers. Is to say to say, well, they say it based on their own authority, like yeah. they they have authority because they are a, an autonomous being, and that's a totally flawed concept that flies directly in the face of God's order uh, and structure in society, and it creates chaos, and we see it all around yeah. us. And we that, that, that philosophy is,
1: in the end, self-destructive. It is, and it um. cannot
0: continue sustainably, and <laughs> we see it starting to fray at the edges when we see all the discord that's going on in the world when we see i mean it's it's nothing new under the sun it's just got a different name now challenging authority has been around since adam ate adam and eve ate fruit that's right but we we see it in different different ways
1: so how should we as christians respond to another person's sin um let's we can put it in practical terms um um so we we see the the sons of noah who uh Covered their father's mm-hmm. nakedness, his his shame, his sin, and so as as people of Christ, um, God calls us to do the same.
0: Yeah, I think the the thing to point to there is this idea of uh, calling people to repentance. That's our our goal. Uh, we we call out people in their sin not because we want to build ourselves up or put them down, but because we love them, and that's the thing I think society looks at Christians and sees wrongly is they see when we call out sin, they see it as hatred, they see it as bigotry, they see it as um, us trying to make ourselves superior. And in some cases it's true, because not all Christians have pure motives for calling out sin. But in general, the Christian faith is in a position where we are called to call out sin for what it is, to call a spade a spade, to say this is wrong, this is against God's word and his will. And that's the reason we do it is because we love other people we want them to come to repentance so that they are not judged for their their sin and their misconduct but instead are forgiven in the in the blood of christ and it's
1: not it's not based on our ideas of what's right and wrong Mm -hmm. it's taken from uh god's word Mm -hmm. and um but there's there is as you mentioned there is a fine line between um uh Going to a brother and God tells us that to go to a brother or sister if they've done something. We should go to them privately, one to one, and uh, with with the e- expressed intent in in having them see the sin, confess the sin, and come back to God.
0: And with that comes another calling for us to be willing to receive people who are calling us out in our sins with graciousness. I think the immediate thing is there's a lot of fear of us approaching somebody to confront their sin. Because we hear, judge not, yes, lest you be judged. And we assume as soon as we go to somebody to call out their sin, they're going to snap at us and they're going to be judgmental back. And what we need to do is acknowledge within our community of faith as Christians that it is the calling of others to help build us up and to help us repent of our sin. And so we, we do that. Yeah. We call each other to
1: to confess. And uh, again, in a practical way, that, that becomes a part of our every Sunday worship service mm-hmm. to uh, confess our sins, our wrongs, and we leave them at the cross. And we desire to hear that, that forgiving word that comes from God because of what Christ has done.
0: Yeah. And it's not just anything we do. It's the, the very first thing we do. It's, it's totally central and core to the, to the worship of a, of a Christian to begin with confession. To heed the calling by other Christians to bring our sins before Christ yeah. right off the bat
1: and uh, and so um, maybe kind of to um, as a final question here, how were Shem and Japheth A type of Jesus in this text yeah
0: because they loved someone in their shame that's what Jesus does for us right Mm -hmm. he comes into the world and our behavior while he was here was utterly shameful our behavior all along has been totally shameful our behavior today is totally shameful and covered in sin and Jesus enters into our sin and
1: our shame and he covers it up with his blood yeah and and so with his with his blood, with his life, uh, as we see him dying on the cross, um, uh he covers us and he covers us with with love mm-hmm. as well as with his blood. And um to, you know, I that you know, someone has asked the question, Has someone ever died for you? And every Christian can shout out, Yes, mm-hmm. uh someone gave their life for me in a very real way. Yeah. And um, and that that changes everything, in who we are and how we live, yeah. and uh, so that we begin to live for Christ um, and uh, the One who gave His life for us, um, and we find that He begins to live in us. Mm-hmm. And what a what a blessing that is! Yeah and
0: the the idea that you brought up of a type of Jesus is one I think to clarify. We've been bringing up types of Jesus all along. We mm-hmm. see. Um, we see in the very beginning that adam and the new adam right we see the type of uh the man the way god created him to be and the way that jesus restored that image we see um Cain and Abel in that story that Abel is a type of Christ and that he is the one who is made a victim. Uh, his his blood cries out and things like that. We see... He offered and, a,
1: a good and right sacrifice uh-huh. to God.
0: And We see Noah as a type. See, this is what you'd Real A type means... You kind of say that in in italics, right? That it's a type of Jesus. Sort of like... Um, yeah, pre prefigurement yeah pre- yeah mm-hmm. it, it points to Jesus, right, yeah. uh, so Noah is in building an ark to save humanity he 's a type of Jesus, so we see in Genesis everything it points to you know obviously in in genesis' time they didn 't know exactly who or what they were pointing to, perhaps perhaps they said the Messiah, right, mm-hmm. but we know today that this is clearly pointing to Jesus, we see in his life and in his actions, he fulfills the the postfigurement if you want to put that phrase i don't know if it's really uh, true but he is the one to whom all of scripture points and
1: and we see if we follow the arrows they all point to jesus as the center of things the the theological dollar word is anti-type which is the real thing Uh, and christ is is the anti-type the real thing uh the savior the messiah of the world and uh, uh the the all the whole old testament points mm-hmm. us to Jesus, uh, as our savior and Lord. Yeah. And, um, and so that is who we celebrate. We find ourselves, uh, just a, a week before Holy week. And so we're going to be taking a closer look this next week as Jesus not only enters into Jerusalem, but, uh, is moved towards the cross where he will give his life. And, um, uh, so it's a, it's a, a high festival time in the church year as we celebrate, uh, that act of love and sacrifice given for us. Mm-hmm. So I think that's our time for today. Yep. So we can close in prayer. If you bow your heads with me, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story of Noah and his sons, and we ask, Lord, that you would you would strengthen us uh, because of your love, because of your word and your spirit, that we would uh, that we would cover the shame of others, that we would not expose it, uh, but that we would cover it up, and we pray that it would be covered with the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ so that it would be no more. Uh, we thank you for covering our shame, uh, for our the times where we've uh, done things wrong and, and hurt those around us. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you remind us of, uh, not only is our sin covered and our shame is covered, but uh, remind us that we have now life and hope and peace with you because of what our Savior Jesus has done. So be with us this day. Remind us of the love that you've given us. Um, As we live out our life this day, uh, we ask that we can take opportunities to demonstrate that love to those around us and to encourage them uh, to express and continue that love, not only within families, but within neighborhoods, within congregations, within uh, uh, cities and towns around the country. And and so guide us towards that end as we lift your name on high and we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen.
0: Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can watch it live on YouTube or Facebook, Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central. And we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.